Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. As we consume our routine foods, we find ourselves failing to question what makes up the item or where it comes from. Now, with access to more and more information than we have ever had before, we're still not taking the extra steps to really find out the core of what we are consuming and its impact it has on our bodies and on our planet. So today I'm joined by educator, change activist, columnist, speaker, and founder of Low Tox Life, Alex Stewart. Alex started the Low Tox Life in 2010 with the passion to help people make better choices for their health and our planet. Now, 10 years down the track, she has now expanded this to an incredible online community with a podcast, courses, and a best-selling book titled Low Tox Life. And today, she joins me to help educate and inspire all of our community on how we can also live a low-tox life. Welcome to the high branch, Alex. Thank you so much for having me, Sam. Now, your bio is pretty impressive. I absolutely love it. And we both founded our respective communities in 2010. Coincidence, something must have been happening. I know exactly what was happening. It was after the global financial crisis and everyone hit the wall. You are an educator and I love that you're also a change agent and an activist. I love that title because I think we should all be activists. And you're also a columnist for Wellbeing Magazine, which is a magazine that I subscribe to. You're also a sought-after speaker and four-time best-selling author of Low Tox Life, which was published in 2018 and now on its eighth reprint. We'll have to update that because it's actually a 10 times best-selling book now. So it just made me go, oh, hold on, we're on the 12th reprint. And uh, yeah. Well, it's uh, it's obviously resonating with the community. Now, I haven't read the book. I did order it and I'm looking forward to reading it. But you also have nine online courses. Yeah. Which one is called Go Low Tox. There's Preconception Ninja and Going Gluten Free. I've also watched your TED Talk and we'll put the link in the description. But I also love your philosophy and that is keep it real, keep it unrefined. Yeah. One of the key messages that we stress to our community is that having high energy is an innate quality. You actually don't have to try too hard. You don't have to take anything or do anything. You just need to get rid of the stuff that's weighing your energy down, whether it's physical, mental, or emotional. So I really love your message of eliminating the tox rather Mm. than chasing supplements and herbs and foods. Look, we are going to talk about food as medicine. I do love your approach first, and that is to get people to hit the reset button to get their bodies to a state where it's not being impacted by toxicity and then build on that with food as medicine. Now, before I ask you my first question, you do have a bachelor's degree in European political science and languages, which is fascinating. Yeah, I know. A bit of a change there. But you've also been a food revolution ambassador for Jamie Oliver. I have. For eight years. And I absolutely love uh, Jamie Oliver and what he stands for. Yeah, he's a legend. My first question is, how did you get into low-tox living? What has been your own health journey? Because I, I think it's our own personal story that gives people context and gives your life meaning. I agree, Sam. Having interviewed hundreds of people myself, I'm always interested to find out what that 
thing was that made them go a certain way, whether it's choosing a particular specialisation as a doctor or those sorts of things. Look, for me, you know, and we just laughed about a a Bachelor of Arts in European political science um, as my major. But to be honest, I think that actually set me up to find this work eventually in that I had spent four years of my life (laughs) as a young adult studying history, studying cause and effect, using critical thinking, backing up points with evidence. And, you know, it pains me greatly that our humanities and legal degrees are now going up in price because I think that the minds that those sorts of degrees give us are the minds that the future needs, minds that can think independently of formula, that can assess multiple different sources of information, conflicting evidence, and find truth and justice. And I really believe my degree taught me to do that. So when I had health issues, sort of dating back about 17 years now, where I finally admitted to myself that I had to do something different because getting tonsillitis four or five times a year, going on antibiotics until I became antibiotic resistance was leading nowhere fast. And it was actually quite dangerous and scary. And uh, I was on the third round of the strongest antibiotics you could possibly be on for strep throat and they didn't work. And a girlfriend happened to be dropping over some soup one night and she said, you know, maybe you want to go see a naturopath. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what their qualification meant. But frankly, I was desperate. And it really was that desperation that led me to look outside the box. And so I found a naturopath. Luckily, it was one who had been practicing for 25 years, an incredible woman, incredible knowledge, amazing diagnoser, just Ask me questions for an hour before deciding anything. And I had never had that experience in a health consultation before. Never had I been asked about where I was born, how I was born, whether I was breastfed or formula fed, uh, whether I'd had any infections or any major memories of illness as a child, whether I'd eaten any particular foods and ever felt any sensations that didn't really feel right or made me feel unwell or bloated or um, sick or diarrhea, constipation, all those kinds of questions. And I felt like she knew me better than anyone by the end of that hour and prescribed me these revolting tasting herbs and which I've come to love since. But back then I was just like, oh my gosh, this is going to be horrific. So shout out to anyone who's, who's gone down that track recently for the first time. You actually strangely come to appreciate those bitter tastes. And, uh, and a couple of immune supportive vitamins to address any potential underlying deficiencies. And I was better in three days. And it was really just quite amazing to wow. me that you could, in inverted commas, because I know this is audio only, not take medicine and get better. And because I had only ever believed medicine to be the product of a pharmaceutical creation, uh, I really didn't understand that plants had been used as medicine for millennia and, and vitamins, deficiencies that are caused by a modern food system predispose us to certain issues, diseases, overgrowths of pathogens and on we could go. So it was really my baptism into that whole world of treating and healing in uh, more natural ways, I guess you could say. And from there, she recommended I trial going gluten-free. And I'm certainly not someone who ever demonizes any whole foods. Some people can eat gluten, you know, no problems. Me, on the other hand, and others out there as well, 
find it to be one of those trigger foods that just leads to nowhere good. And when I had to remove gluten to trial whether that was going to help give my body a break, make it stronger and ditch the strep throat, which it did, by the way, was incredible. I had to read what was on the back of packets for the first time in my life. And my 26, 27-year-old self was highly convenience-driven. I was a product of the modern food boom in those middle aisles in the supermarket. Funny thing to note is junk food aisle did not join the supermarket landscape until the early 80s. When when people say, oh, you know, we never had any of these illnesses in my day, you also never had any of these foods in your day. And that is a huge part of the problem. So there I was reading the back of my up and go popper uh, that I had for breakfast sometimes when I was running out the door and needed something in one package and fast. I remember the up and go, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think they're still around. Yes. I had to read what was on the back of my chicken, veggies and rice lean cuisine, which was unfortunately not just chicken, veggies and rice. There's a whole bunch of other stuff in there as well. And gluten was everywhere. And so I literally, back then, 17 years ago, where there weren't this proliferated market segment of gluten-free processed foods, I'm quite thankful that there wasn't because it meant that I couldn't turn to just other processed foods. I actually had to turn to produce to avoid gluten. And it forced me to learn how to cook. And it forced me to then think about where produce came from. And if I was doing my best, what would that look like in terms of starting to create transparency from which farms I was getting my food from? And that was what opened me up to factory farming and the cruel ethical issues, but also the environmental costs of of that form of agriculture and opened me up to processing of foods in general, all the additives, preservatives, because I had to read about what each one was to find out whether it had gluten in it. I inadvertently learnt about all of them and just had this huge mind blown year of, oh my gosh, how did this get into our food system? Where, at what point was this a logical next step? And that's opening a huge can of worms. I'm sure we'll unpack a bit of that later on. Yeah, absolutely. It's a journey, isn't it? You started off really with gluten on the radar. And then as you started reading the back of packets, then you noticed all these other ingredients. I went on a very similar journey and I have people in our community who have shared their journey. And it, it is a beautiful journey. I think the first step, and that's one you talk about, is just keep it really simple, produce. Mm, yeah, then, but from packets to produce. Absolutely. And I, I love that mantra, packets to produce. But then, like you said, then you go even deeper and say, well, what kind of produce mm. have these been sprayed? With what have they been sprayed? Or is this meat that I'm eating, is it grass-fed and grass-finished? Has it had antibiotics? So you can drill down. Now, I don't want to turn people off who are listening, who are thinking, oh, I, I just can't possibly. I don't have time for that. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> you need to start the journey. And sometimes it's a journey for, for yourself. It's a 10-year journey. Mm. And you refine and you refine and you refine and you get better and better. And I think as you get older, that journey should be more and more refined because we become more susceptible Mm. Uh, to you know toxins in our system as we get older and things like you know early onset dementia and diabetes or uh, pre-diabetes so syndrome x as you call it or heart disease these are not inevitable you know, mm. and or arthritis and people think now they're starting to think it's the new normal well yeah. everyone isn't that what everyone gets isn't that what happens when you get older no it's not 
Mm. Back, I, I grew up in a little village in the base of Mount Lebanon and mm. people were living to 120 in this village, yeah. right? It's because it was, like you said, it was totally from, you know, from the paddock, mm. right? Now, they had a fraction of the healthcare that we have. They didn't have supplements. They didn't have fitness first down the road, yeah. right? Yeah. So it is definitely our right to, you know, to grow old gracefully and with energy and to reach at least 100 years of age. Mm. You can do it, can't you? Yeah, it is. And it's such a broken system. And when you actually start to cast your eyes on how many industries are intricately connected to uphold this system, it can be a mass, you know, we've got, (laughs) there are so many people listening right now who are in the finance sector, legal sector, who may be representing fast food FMCG business as a client. Uh, who may be banking with them. So then you start to think, oh my goodness, like how do I actually make the world better if my dollar that I earn relies on these people continuing to succeed who are producing this processed food? So I completely understand when people wake up and then think, oh gosh, you know, how do we rebuild a system that is more ethical, more sustainable for our planet? Regenerative actually is what we need because we've hurt our landscapes so much. Sustainable is not actually even enough anymore. But the thing is, you can get terrified by that and kind of think, oh, that's a Pandora's box that I don't want to open. Or you could simply just this week say, you know what, I'm going to find out a bit more about where this chicken that I buy every week comes from and just start there. Because you start to change the market from your shopping basket. And then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of small businesses sprout up to answer the need of this wonderful exactly. market. Exactly. They need lawyers, they need banks, yep. and you just start to change things from the ground up through the simple act of changing your shopping basket. The rest sorts itself out. It really does. So I think it's a very interesting problem that we have to solve now, but we can solve it with good economics just as we have gotten here with an emphasis on profit, we can now actually have an emphasis on a multi-stream outlook on what success looks like, not just profit, because unfortunately that will just lead us to the doom and gloom that all the journalists are reporting on now that we're being told about. So I know that's a very serious, big place to start, but I think it's often good to kind of go there and then we reverse engineer and talk about all the little things that we can do to help. Okay, Alex, so let's focus then on some of the toxins that people should look out for. And we're not just talking about food, are we? We're not just talking about what's on the back of packets. No, no. Things are a little bit more insidious. So as an activist, what are the things that you focus mostly on, the, the, the top, if you like, top toxins? From food, I very much went into then looking at personal care, cleaning products, just was a natural progression to look at everything. And so it became not about just what we put in us, but what we put on us. And then my final piece was looking at the home, looking all around us, and then beyond that, our landscapes and environment. So often people have food as the first thing they kind of have to wake up about because they have a very intimate issue with the food they're eating and that forces them to look at that stuff. And then it became obvious to me that there were a few key things that, that we might want to look at reducing. And those were 
two groups of chemicals that came up time and again, uh, whether they were in additives and preservatives in food or whether they were in uh, personal care or cleaning products. And they were either chemicals that had some sort of evidence in the research to suggest either potential or definite toxicity at certain levels of exposure. And so by that, I mean carcinogens. Uh, And then the other group, more insidious and harder to recognise, were the endocrine disruptive chemicals. So what are they? Take us through, where do they come from? Where are the sources? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So an endocrine disruptive chemical basically disrupts hormonal systems, whether that's your sex hormones, thyroid, cortisol, adrenals, you name it. All those things are part of our endocrine system and endocrine disruptive chemicals can either mimic, act like one of our own hormones, like estrogen, or block the production of estrogen in our system. And they do that by basically looking like estrogen and then our body thinks, oh, we've got tons of that stuff floating around so we don't need to make any anymore and our body gets lazy. That's quite, <laughs> that's quite scary. Yeah. And the scariest part about that for me was to learn where they were. So there are a couple of key ones. BPA are probably, bisphenol A is probably something that a lot of people would have heard of before. BPS, which unfortunately the BPA-free movement has now replaced a lot of those soft plastics with BPS, which is shown to be just as bad. Parabens, which were a chief preservative used in personal care and cleaning products for many years, even in some foods, depending on the country, highly endocrine disruptive and thankfully one of the ones that's really been phased out quite quickly now. And phthalates. The way you spell phthalates is P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S. For the nerds who want to follow this up, I'm like that, so I completely understand if you do. And these are plasticizers. There's several different types of phthalates, but essentially the whole family plasticizers. They're sticky. And what that looks like in a cheap $2 shop ball that you might throw to a dog or buy for your kid is you might be able to hold a huge ball the size of a basketball with just one hand, a tiny hand, um, because it sticks. So you can kind of grab onto it more easily. Right, And that sticky kind of plastic lets you know that there are phthalates present. Another one is those ABC foam mats that unfortunately we often buy for babies. You definitely want to get that out of your home if you've got one because they tend to have very high levels of phthalates. And you can tell like on a hot day, your foot kind of sticks to it if you're barefoot and you're going across one of those. Same with a lot of linos, especially the older PVC containing linos. And then in personal care, what phthalates look like is strong, long-lasting fragrances. You know that way when you kind of hug someone at the gym or when when you're at the cafe catching up with a mate for coffee? Not much hugging happening in 2020, but let's remember. Let's take a trip down memory lane. And you then go about your day and that night you're cooking dinner. You get a whiff of their fragrance. 
as if they were in the room with you. That's a long-lasting fragrance and phthalates are what enable fragrance to do that. They make the fragrance stick. And this is where the issue of our society and its cultural metrics for success comes in because over time we have been sold on the idea that for a fragrance to be good, it has to last a long time on the skin. It's a selling point and it says, I got a good one if I don't have to reapply it. But actually, if we broadened success metrics to include good for your health, then that would actually be a very unsuccessful product because Absolutely. Absolutely. we added in the metric of health. Yeah. And we don't want our fragrances to last long because that tends to generally mean that they are high in phthalates, which are the plasticizer compounds which mimic estrogen in our bodies. And the phthalate research is actually quite frightening. In a particular factory that was studied where the workers worked with phthalate plastic production, there was a very high incidence of babies born with sexual organ malformation, especially boys. And phthalates are thought to actually affect male reproductive organs more so than female reproductive organs. This could be because we already have estrogen. Our body knows estrogen. Men really shouldn't have much estrogen at all. And if you then raise the levels of estrogen artificially, it can cause confusion in a growing embryo. And so boys in this particular factory, and unfortunately I've come to know parents who've reached out to me who've done the course over the years, have had boys born with micro penises. Adult men find a sperm health issue with a lot of phthalate exposure. It can be a very common thing. So I always say to guys, two of the best things you can do to look after your swimmers is to stop wearing those ridiculously strong smelling Rexona or Lynx sprays and colognes. Just ditch them all. Uh, There are some great natural options. I could run you through nourishedlife.com.au, Adore, Beauty, Flora and Fauna, all selling fantastic natural fragrances, beautiful woody kind of essential oil-based male still get to smell just like a bloke. It's all good, but you're not going to be compromising your male sexual health, which, you know, a lot of the time we find now it's about 50-50 when there are fertility issues, who the fertility issue, who has it, the man or the woman. So that's my number one tip for guys to just stop wearing all those super strong smelling things. No one even likes them anyway, newsflash. So that may be a hard truth for some people. I'm glad you called that out because it smells (laughs) disgusting. Oh, my gosh. Like it it honestly makes you want to run a mile. And then the second thing is to get those mobile phones out of your front pockets because the research is astounding how quickly the swimmers bounce back after not being exposed to uh, constant radiation from your front pocket. Absolutely. I recorded a podcast with Joachim Herman. Oh, awesome. You know Joachim, do you? Yeah, yeah. 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 So um, it was one of our very first ones. We've recorded three podcasts now together because he's the electromagnetic pollution expert on those things. I'm glad you called that out as well. But just to recap, when you say the carcinogens, the more and more products, the more and more packets, the more and more lotions there are in the market, there's a strong correlation between them and cancer. It's like cancer Mm -hmm. is going up at the same rate. So the correlation is very strong. 
between them. What I also want to call out is that people are also using these strong deodorants because they're also ingesting a lot of toxins that manifest themselves in the body as body odor. Mm. So if you're trying to cover up something, you're also, you're doubling down, right? Yeah, you are. That's the tragic uh, reality. Exactly. Compounding. Uh, Mm. You're compounding the problem because I'm a person that actually, I don't wear deodorant. Mm. And if I had to, I use some of those products you mentioned. Another good one is called Larry S, uh, L-A-R-I-E-S-E. They have an excellent product as well, completely natural. You know, if you've gone out the night before and you've had a glass of wine or you've had a coffee or something that your body's treating as a toxin, it comes out of your pores. The worst thing you can do is actually cover it up. You actually need to listen to that odor, (laughs) you know? Mm. What's my body trying to tell me? I'm not smelling good. (laughs) Yeah. So that's completely fascinating. Now, with topical creams and stuff, like that people are surprised that the skin actually is our biggest organ and Mm -hmm. can absorb 15% of what we put on it. So it's quite telling. Now, what about on the inside out then? Because what we take in internally, we absorb a lot more of. And so what are the biggest things that we should be looking out for? Now, you mentioned gluten. And on that topic, I know a lot of people will say, well, I can eat gluten. Look, Mm -hmm. I'm one of those can eat gluten as well. I'm jealous. Uh, (laughs) I still miss a good croissant, but you know. (laughs) When I can eat bread, and I love bread, it's in my heritage, but I still get bloated bread. Now, I don't have an issue. I've been tested, but I still get bloated and I don't feel good after it. Mm -hmm. It does impact, and energy ultimately is the the barometer. It is. You got it. I mean, the number one thing, like, let's just ditch the packets, go to produce. Once we're there, the best thing we can do is to listen to how we feel after certain foods, after a meal. And if you're getting bloated from bread, it's probably just because it's too much and it's just more than your body and your gut microbiome can manage. So you might be teetering on the edge of having an overgrowth of a certain bacteria population that then causes gut issues. So having two slices instead of one is what throws you over the edge after a meal. But if you had uh, a small slice of sourdough uh, in balance with a a majority uh, of vegetables, meats, you know, other whole foods to go with that meal, then you might be absolutely fine to just have that one piece, you know? So it's really about starting to tune in and let your body have a conversation with your mind again, because often we're just so fast paced to go, we're not even listening. And we just, as soon as we hear something, we don't want to listen to it. We just want to pill, make it go away. And if we're really going to have long lasting resilience, then we got to start listening. I think water is a very underestimated, underlooked at Thing, considering we're all told we have to have a certain amount of glasses a day. If we're going to have eight to 10 glasses of water a day, we want to make sure that we're not drinking chlorinated water. However low the levels of chlorine are, there is research to suggest a modulation in gut bacteria from that. Where you sit on the fluoride debate, look, you know, that's completely up to people to look at their own views on that. There are just as many countries that fluoridate as those that don't and both have very strong reasons for doing so. So I really believe that's a personal choice when the science is as divided as that on that issue. And there are filters that take 
chlorine, pesticide and herbicide residues out of the water, bacteria um, and other pathogens out of the water. So I would get a great water filter. And that's probably one of the first things I would get. And if you work in an office uh, situation where you think, oh, yeah, but the water cooler at work doesn't really filter much out. I think it just makes the water cold, which a lot of them do. There are so many great options. Waters Co is one of my favourite Aussie brands. And they have a little mini, I think it's called the mini water man. And it's a tiny little jug that you could just have sitting on your desk, go fill it up at the water cooler at the tap and, and have it there provides incredible, remineralized, clean, beautiful filtered water. So water would be the first thing I would look at. And then I would look at if you eat a lot of grains in your diet, if that works for you, I would consider making a switch to some of the more high volume foods in that family, especially to organic sources. And the reason for that is we are looking at the glyphosate research all the time. Glyphosate is the main agent in one of the most popular herbicides of all time called Roundup. And this features very heavily in grain-based agriculture and many vegetables as well, but predominantly grains. And if people are then still eating um, meat from unknown sources, chances are they're being grain-fed from these grains that have been sprayed. So you're getting it at multiple stages of the food chain. And glyphosate has been shown to be damaging to the gut. Once we have a damaged gut lining, we then have damaged gut-brain connection, brain-heart-gut, you know, all of these connections start to break down and we end up with the gates wide open for chronic illnesses. Often starts small and then blows up if we ignore things for long enough. And the trick is to just not ignore things for long enough to get to these crisis points, these apocalyptic moments where either we unfortunately have something we can't deal with anymore or we have to make huge changes all of a sudden overnight. Much better to start now and to start switching any high-volume foods that you eat. I say start with your top three and then go from there to switch them to organic regenerative agriculture sources. And the best way to do that, I mean, the most stress-free way to do it, rather than having to research online, we all think we need to dive online, just go to a farmer's market, start chatting to people who grow food, and you'll very quickly find some fantastic sources. And it's going to be a beautiful experience. It's going to connect us city folks more closely to uh, land, which I think is a really important psychological piece in this for our mental health and and then just go from there but we really do want to start to get these agricultural chemicals out of our food supply and out of our bodies because the evidence now is endocrine disruption especially from the pesticide family the organophosphate pesticides which became popular after world war ii of course when there was this surplus of war chemicals that had been used for gassing and all the tragic things that we read about in the history books And they had to find a way to still sell them. And the way they found to do that was through agriculture, killing pests, killing herbs. Uh, And that was... Killing people. Slowly, exactly. (laughs) This is when we started to die slowly. So, Sam, you talked about the rise in the use of all these personal care products and and cleaning products. But I really think it's a post-war industrial soup of a rise of all sorts of things from pesticides, herbicides in agriculture, 
to the chemical revolution in personal care and cleaning products, to the building of more and more airtight buildings that then give us all sorts of mould and condensation problems, to the advent of far more electromagnetic energy than our bodies were ever designed to deal with our own personal energy and electrical fields. And that's why you see it all kind of happening in this incremental graph situation from World War II onwards. So it's never just one thing anymore. It's often a soup of multiple things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the people that are listening to this right now, don't wait for Mm. things to break down irretrievably. I mean, more and more people are having thyroid problems taking, you know, thyroxine or whatever, all these drugs now. More and more people are having endocrine disruption Mm. and the energy dips and they're starting to put on weight or they say that their metabolism has slowed. It hasn't. It's just, you know, your, your gut microbiome has been compromised. Don't wait to hit rock bottom before you mm. make changes in your life because it's tragic. Yeah. Uh, one of the hardest things to live with in life is regret. I should have, could have, would have. So just make small changes. And, you know, what Alex is telling you now is that they're not drastic changes. You know, I've come across people who are highly engineered with everything they consume, right? And yes, you can get to that extreme. I know athletes that are that extreme because they have to be because they need to be operating such a peak level. Yes, and you can go to that extreme. But if you're listening to this right now, simply just choosing a different deodorant. <laughs> mm, totally. And, you know, it's so easy for us. And I'll send you a link to some of my favorite shopping places so people really, the guesswork is taken out. You have all the stores that have been vetted by us in one spot uh, because it can be really daunting. And I can completely appreciate as an ex-corporate myself how when you are busy, you're under the pump, you're project-based, everything is moving so fast and then you have children to come home and spend time with and feed and do all the things (laughs) you think well where are we going how are we going to find time to work on this stuff i really feel for people who are up against those time-based constraints and just want to make it easy for people you mentioned kids how much more important is it for parents with children to uh, be on the lookout for these toxins So I think it's crucial and there's no point that illustrates this better than a question I often ask as my first question in a workshop or a keynote. And if I'm talking to people where I can see in the audience it's Gen X or older, I will always ask, okay, I want to just ask a first question and that is think about when you were a kid, whether you can remember anyone who had chronic asthma, psoriasis, hives, dermatitis, autism, or food allergies, and maybe one or two hands in a hundred go up. No more than that, never. Then I say, now think about your kids and think about uh, the last birthday party you had to cater and think about whether you know more than five, let's make it tough, more than five kids who have some kind of food allergy, asthma, psoriasis, dermatitis, hives, they're on the spectrum, ADHD, Asperger's, etc. And three quarters of the room's hands go up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, what the heck has changed in 30 years? To give you one example, 
when you and I ate a McDonald's French fry in the early 80s, yes. that was a norm, like an organically grown potato and it was cooked in beef tallow from a largely grass-fed animal, roaming, access to sunlight, etc. 1984, all of that changed. What happened in <laughs> They changed. So basically they started requiring absolute uniformity in the look of the potatoes and there was a very toxic herbicide that was required to create that level of uniformity. And, of course, the farmers were pressured into that because they didn't want to lose their biggest customer, McDonald's, so they went along with it. But it's the kind of herbicide that requires the farming family to spend two weeks inside, indoors, closed up, while the dust settles on the application of that herbicide, so toxic that it is. And you wonder why we're having cancer clusters in farming communities. It's really not rocket science, unfortunately. And I can send you actually a fantastic lecture that Michael Pollan did on this very topic that opened my eyes to it a few years ago. And it's just one of my favourite examples because a simple French fry from a fast food restaurant used to actually not be that bad. Now it's made with up to 19 different ingredients, different corn oils, soybean oils, and often genetically modified ingredients. And why people should be concerned about genetic modification is almost not so much about the DNA alteration of the plant, but the reason that plant's DNA was altered. And the reason is so that it could withstand a higher amount of herbicide being sprayed on the crop and still live. That's actually why we should be worried about genetically modified agriculture because of what it allows uh, subsequently to occur. And then I don't know a lawyer in the world who wouldn't have their ears prick up with suspicion about a chemical company that produces the modified seed that you can't then replant. You have to buy new every single year from that company. And then you have to use the approved herbicide that company also makes. I mean, genius business model, right? Like you got to give it to them. But at the same time, we live in a world where we walk past that as a standard that we accept. I don't accept that as a standard. I think that's highly suspicious to give that much control of our food system to one company. And sort of digress there, but it's to sort of illustrate the point that things have really changed in that 30 years for that room of ex-gen or older parents to see that much disparity in the stats between them being a child and their own children and the health issues that our kids today are experiencing. So to bring that point home where you say, how much should we care about what our kids are exposed to? That's why. Because imagine what another 30 years exposed to all this stuff, eating all this stuff is going to do to us for their kids. So it's imperative that we really start to simplify things, that we get all the resources we need. And one of my most popular products is a fussy eating resource bundle that I put together with a fellow coach because parents have so many issues just getting their kids to eat real food. Yeah. That's yeah. devastating to me. That's just, I'm a Frenchie. So, uh, so you know, access that. So oh, you could, I'll send you the link to that as well. So I'm just going to make a mental note. I've got the Michael Pollan video, the shop link and the Fussy Eating Bundle and I'll send all of those across for everybody today. Fussy Eating um, Bundle because there's a lot of parents at the uh, heart of our community 
Um, mm. That's uh, they give up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the food companies love it. <laughs> they love that they give up. It's a, such an intricate web of proliferating success for the highly industrialized food market. Whereas if we actually just raise kids who eat real food, the more real food our kids eat, the more they start to feel really out of whack when they eat the junk. And they know much more easily what they feel better on and what helps them achieve their goals as kids. So it's a huge one. And I think we can solve a lot of problems by addressing fussy eating in in the early part of life and helping parents who often at my age, 45, weren't taught how to navigate food, how to cook food, especially in urban areas, you know, they ditched home ec and everything out of the schools because that was demeaning to girls all of a sudden in the 80s. Never mind girls should be taught it. So should guys. You know, I think it's... Should all be taught it, yeah. Exactly. It's a metric for success that your kids turn 18, start to travel, leave home, and then know how to make themselves a few basic nutritional charged meals. So, yeah, yeah. One of the objections, you know, you get from uh, parents is that eating healthy and organic is expensive, much Mm. more expensive and also hard to find. You know, you say, okay, we'll go to a farmer's market. I've been to a farmer's market where they also sell just mainstream produce, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's why you need to have the conversations with people and ask more questions about how things are grown, not in a kind of, you know, we don't want to be like we're in the courtroom litigating. That's definitely not going to go down well. I always say do it with kindness and curiosity. Uh, but it is one of the easiest ways to find out where things come from. And these days, I think it takes a good couple of years to find your good sources. But if we think about our food budget and we think about how much is in our trolley, like next time you go to a supermarket, if you're still shopping conventionally in a supermarket setting, you know, there's nothing (laughs) abnormal about you. That's still what most people do. So don't feel bad. We're all just doing what we know as a product of what we've been taught so far or what we've absorbed culturally or through advertising. And just have a look at that trolley, buying all the normal things that you would normally buy and ask yourself, how much in here is ultra-processed food? And ultra-processed means you no longer see any raw materials that were used to go into that food. It now looks like something completely different. So shapes or Pringles or two-minute noodles, none of those things look like, you know, wheat or sugar or any of the raw materials that were used to go into that. And that's what an ultra-processed food is. Now, those don't... Healthy, even if it's healthy. Even if it's supposedly healthy, got five stars, I don't care. (laughs) If it's ultra-processed... My daughter had a packet of corn chips yesterday. And she's... Uh It's blue corn, non-GMO, organic. And I opened the packet with her and I thought, I've got to try some of this. And it was a triangle. It was a perfect triangle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So... What happened? What has happened to get it to that this perfect triangle? Each each chip. <laughs> yeah. So, interestingly enough, a, a corn chip like that is only processed. So it's only processed in the same level that olive oil would be processed. Okay. So it's been pressed into a shape, but it is just corn, you know, cornmeal. And oil. So you definitely want to be making sure you don't have vegetable oil if you possibly can. But it's, yeah, it's it's mildly processed. Ultra processed is where 
a whole bunch of stuff has been mixed together in a cocktail, spit right. out the other side, and it looks completely and tastes completely unlike any of the raw materials that went into making that food. So a soy protein nugget that's sold as fake chicken would be ultra processed, for example. But a lot of these, a lot of these products make healthy claims on the product. Yeah. What can you tell us about that? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, there was a mum the other day, she said, oh, it says here it's healthy. Mm. <laughs> I said, no, it's terrible. Have a look, read mm. it. What's happening there? I mean, uh, So the only place you should look to decide on whether something is healthy or not is on the back at the six-point font ingredient list. It's very small they make those things. And if you see a whole bunch of things, not just the raw materials but a whole bunch of other additives, no, it's not healthy. I'm sorry, just because it's low-fat or just because it's high fiber doesn't mean that it's healthy. Ultra processed versus mildly processed and produce are three completely different kettles of fish. And the more processed a food is, the harder it is for our body to recognize. So you really just want to go back to the simple things. And one of our most popular blogs is actually just 15 snack foods that are just basic whole foods or really simple. So a handful of raspberries, cut up some carrot sticks and dip it into some smashed avo, you know, cut up a piece of cheddar and put it on a cracker. And instead of these weird little packets of the snacks with fake cheese, you know, we've been convinced into believing based on macronutrient figures that are spat out at us, like low fat or high fiber on the front of a packet, that means health. And it just doesn't. Produce means health. All the polyphenols, all the beautiful vitamins in their raw natural forms from wonderful unprocessed fruits, meats, veggies, grains even, I would include there because if we prepare them well and they're unprocessed, a lot of people do great. I mean, many cultures in the world use grain-based flatbreads and things as staple foods to have with curries and casseroles and tagines and no whole food is evil and then different cultures evolve to eat things differently. Right, right, mm. absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you called that out. Because yeah, so I just think you see healthy, yeah. you see all natural, uh, you see a picture of a cow with a little green pasture on like chocolate milk. It's like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're too smart for that now. We're just, we're moving beyond being able to be sold on those very simple labeling loopholes that are founded on nothing. Yeah. And in in your TED talk, you did say that we've been doing change all wrong. And as consumers, we have been fast asleep. Mm. And we have activists like yourself who are waking people up, which I, I love. And I commend you for doing that. It's just so beautiful that you do that. Because sometimes even just changing One habit for one family can avoid cancer, not just in their kids, but maybe in their grandkids, right? Mm, Yeah. Because the results are intangible or invisible, people don't see that connection. You really notice it when you're sick, but you don't notice anything when you're not sick. Mm. So how do you get people then just to step into that future mindset? Like for me, I, I always tell people like, Imagine you were dying tomorrow. What would you do today, right? Mm-mm. Do you have a similar philosophy where we say, well, imagine this food is going to give you cancer and work backwards? Like how do you get people motivated mm. to make these changes? Because it is a mental game, isn't it? We've been programmed for convenience and consumption. 
and consumerism. Mm. But yeah. we've also been def- like programmed to view certain things as convenient when there are so many other options that are far better for us that are just as convenient. Like I said, grabbing a handful of raspberries for a snack instead of a mini packet of shapes. You know, it's just that we've been sold something that looks a certain way for so long that we therefore don't believe that there would be anything else that would be convenient. And I think that's one of the first psychological unpacks that we need to do. But, you know, my favourite thing to actually make this a change of longevity and to give a sense of purpose is to actually understand how farming works better. It's actually what I'm doing my second book on because I feel like, especially uh, myself, people like me who've grown up in urban areas, all of my cousins are in either London, Paris or New York. So anywhere that I've visited in my life, it's often been big cities. I haven't had connection to the land and I didn't have connection to the land until probably meeting my now husband, whose mother has a small farm. And so 15 years ago, I started to see up close and personal much more what that looked like. I had a hand at farming a small amount of garlic with her for a few years, which was good fun. And what that taught me, the experience of being involved in plants, photosynthesis, soil health, wriggly worms, and beautiful earthy smells, and then being able to taste produce that comes from out the backyard kind of experience, you can't put a price on how good that feels and how true that feels. And I think until we really understand how incredibly important it is for us to look after our landscapes all around the world, whether they be grasslands that benefit better from pastured grazing and and animals, or whether they be more forestry areas, whether they benefit more from olive trees and legumes planted in between all sorts of amazing agroforestry examples around the world. Once you understand these methods of farming and how important they are, to the health of our planet, to the stabilisation of climate and temperature, to the health of the food that then grows up out of them, being so much more mineral rich, so much more vitamin rich, you start to feel a greater sense of purpose. It's not just about you and it's not just about nutritionists arguing whether you should be vegan or paleo and all that BS that happens at the surface. It's about interconnectedness of us as a species to the planet. You know, we are a part of this place. We don't own this place. We're a part of it. And once we start big picture systems thinking, I think it's a brave journey. It's not an easy one. You do have to do some reading. You have to watch some documentaries. But it's a beautiful one. And then you would literally just as I did, I made a very, it was a very conscious moment where it wasn't, oh, I shouldn't have those Maltesers and it'd probably make me fat or, you know, all those stupid conversations we have about willpower and, you know, I know they're probably not too good for me and switching to as if I would invest in that system any longer. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Big, big shift, huge yeah. And it's a lasting shift because you don't need willpower for that shift. Once you've had that realisation, those sorts of things are just out of the question. So it's not even on your radar to maybe pick one of those things up off a shelf or at the movies. You just, no, nah, 
it's, it's not there anymore because you understand the much bigger implication. Yes. One of my favourite documentaries actually is Kiss the Ground, quite a recent one to help people understand the power of looking after soil health from our shopping baskets. And I love doing. that. I'm going to save that and watch mm. it tonight. Kiss um, the yeah, really good. And then another one that is fabulous for all of the confusion around eating meat, whether or not we should, a fantastic dietitian in the US produced a documentary and a book called Sacred Cow, really good viewing just shows that it's not a black and white issue at all nothing is we like to try and make everything black and white but it's not and the reality is we need all kinds of foods to be farmed for all kinds of systems to proliferate because nothing is grown in a plant only system and nothing is grown in an animal only system everything has to be together for it to work and just like we have to be with our planet for it to all work instead of trying to own her or manipulate her. It's, I mean, this is big philosophical, psychological shifting, but I like to take people there because I think it creates lasting results and it connects us to a higher sense of purpose in the things that we're choosing to put in those shopping baskets. And it makes it not a willpower thing anymore. It just makes us want to connect to businesses doing right by people, by planet, ethically, environmentally, and you just feel more connected. Even as I sit in an apartment on the third floor, I feel more connected. So this is not something you have to go and move to the country and be a homesteader and start sewing your own clothes and making all of your own pickles. If you want to, power to you, great. But a lot of people want both. You know, you want like your wonderful life in the city and being able to go see shows and go to a great restaurant. I love that stuff. I grew up with that as my culture. I don't want to let go of that. But I also recognise that unless I connect to what is needed out there and do my bit to make that work well for our health and for the planet's health, then I'm living in denial, basically, once you know. I, I love that. It, that is probably the most powerful thing you've said at such a high level because what that does is it flips it from people making choices out of fear of getting illnesses and flipping it and making it, they're making those choices out of love for the planet, out of mm. love for the greater good. And I think actions need to be motivated by love because a lot of people will not eat gluten or stay away from things out of fear. Yeah. And it develops this fear mindset where we feel like everywhere we go, what we put in our bodies, what we t touch, what we put on our skin is doing us harm and we, we're doing things out of fear. And yeah, if we take that, big picture approach that you just mentioned it makes mm. it feel like we're connected yeah and that we all have a sense of belonging to one purpose so i absolutely love that alex so beautiful thanks nice <laughs> visual I think it's, it's just going to be a, a shift that helps a lot more people get on board at a really deep cerebral level rather than trying to have all these surface arguments that really don't take us anywhere very deep and meaningful. They just keep us arguing against each other, which, you know, it's not useful. Absolutely. And look, we have over 50,000 listeners uh, or uh, people on, in our community. And I'm sure this message will resonate with a few. And, you know, together the message cascades outwards. Now, I, I, I know you're also a proponent of, of food as medicine as well. So not just a low-tox life. And uh, you've said that 
in some cases, food as medicine speeds up recovery even faster than traditional medication, which I totally believe in. You know, I had a couple of weekends ago, I had too much alcohol and the next day I, I could just felt like my whole microbiome was just disrupted. Mm. And, you know, a few friends said, oh, you should get this herb and get this supplement and get that, get this probiotic. And I said, you know what? No. And yet for that whole day, I ate raw carrots, raw... Great detoxes, raw foods. If you need to quickly detox, have a raw food couple of meals and it'll just, yeah, it'll be very helpful. Then, you know, that said, there's some really great research around bone broths and their ability to help you detoxify and nourish. Yeah, there you go. So maybe we do both. How's that? (laughs) What are the the, uh, most powerful foods that work as medicine in your experience? So some of my favourites are cruciferous veggies. Think your broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, that kind of rocket leaves. Broccoli has a wonderful anti-cancer agent popularised by George W. Bush, I think it was, when he talked about it a few years ago in his presidency. Hated broccoli and the whole broccoli industry went up. Yeah, yeah, and then it turned into a challenge to get him eating it and he ended up sort of becoming a bit of a, a reluctant spokesperson for the industry. It was quite funny. But not only are they good for detoxification in general, so really great to include daily, you know, especially when they're in peak season through the late winter and um, early spring, but also really great for women and men actually in today's world who need to detox estrogen excess. So maybe you've had an estrogen test, a hormone test through your doctor. I'm a big fan of something called the Dutch test, one of the best hormone tests I've ever seen. And maybe it comes that you have excess estrogen. One of the best things you can do is have cruciferous veggies to clear excess estrogen. Uh, They contain a compound called DIM that helps that occur. Yes, you could take a DIM supplement. And I tend to take one towards the middle and end of the cycle. It can be very useful for perimenopausal women in their 40s. But having cruciferous veggies in your everyday meals is just an absolutely brilliant hormone health hack as well. So is grated carrot. Grated carrot with a bit of lemon juice, olive oil, salt and pepper in the morning before you eat anything else, before you drink anything else, is a fantastic detoxifying um, start to the day. So those are a couple of really great ones. You also have incredible herbs. Herbs are packed with nutrients by the very nature of how much more intense they taste that's kind of symbolic of how much more nutritional density there is in there really high in polyphenols and coriander or cilantro for any americans listening is a great chelator so if you're someone who maybe you were exposed to lead as a kid or you had you know live in an old house you think you might have lead pipes Maybe you love tuna and you just can't stop yourself from eating it once a week, even though you know about the high mercury. Having something like coriander regularly featuring through meals, not just two or three leaves as a garnish, but really like getting a whole bunch, 
chopping it up, rinsing it well so it's not gritty and chucking it through a casserole, chucking it through a salsa, whatever you want to pop it in. I love putting it in smoothies as well, but I really love the taste. You'd have to really love the taste to do that. So up to you how you get it in there, but coriander is a great detoxifier. And I guess I'm focusing on these detoxifying foods because they're a really great support for our modern lifestyles to know what these foods are. And then in terms of the nervous system, one of the best foods you can eat is beef, whether it's liver, whether it's your cheeks, shin, any kind of beef on the bone, especially because you get a whole bunch more amino acids through eating cuts that are from those parts, really great for vitamin B12. And you see a lot of people who have anxiety, who maybe are in a lower socioeconomic bracket, haven't been able to afford things like meat on a regular basis, and they eat beef, they have a serving of a steak. And literally, I know, for me, I feel like it calms me down. And that's because I have a nervous system weakness due to long-term mold exposure. And I need a lot of B12 in my diet. And I can get that from a supplement. But our food is always where our body recognizes and absorbs the vitamins and nutrients best. So if you can get it through food, that's always going to be the number one option. And yeah, and it's definitely cheaper, that's for sure. And then you get everything else that comes with that food to fill you up and keep you going to the next meal. Rosemary is a fantastic herb to add if you're someone who feels like their mental performance might just not be quite at your peak. Chopping in some rosemary into your meals, slow cooking with it, blitzing it in through a salad dressing, getting it in wherever you possibly can. There's some great research that connects rosemary to focus and mental performance. So I'm a huge fan. Love even diffusing rosemary essential oil if I'm writing or working on something that demands full concentration. And one more is that omega-3 you know, getting that from some wild salmon, if you have access to wild salmon or trout, you really only need one or two serves of that a week to get so much good nutrition. I think we overeat fish based on how much is available in the ocean. So you don't want to be eating it every day, but once a week and twice if you can is fine and really just kind of pairing it back down to what would be a sustainable level for us and the oceans and those omega-3s do everything from support our nervous system prevent and lessen the symptoms and this is all scientific research prevent and lessen the symptoms of anxiety and depression improve brain function in small children so you often get babies talking sooner if they've had good levels of omega-3s epa dha and that can come from egg yolks as well And um, also really good for optimal brain function in general for our smarts as adults. So again, you know, we always demand so much of our brains and yet we often don't look at what fuels them best. And if we start to look at that, then we might just find we've got some extra smarts in the tank. (laughs) So yeah, that's just, and that's just a tiny little example. So many more, but I think if we think of food as medicine, we just get those ultra-processed foods out of the trolley and we start to replace them with simple whole foods, especially if we want a snack. Think about the amount of money that you save not buying all the ultra-processed stuff as well. The, you know, the 24 slab of 
a soft drink. So there's 12 bucks. And, and the money you will save and the time you will save sitting in waiting rooms of doctors and specialists yeah. in the future. Absolutely. The false economy, when you skimp on those, you know, healthy foods early on because you mm. will pay for it later. Yeah, we generally tend to. Not all of us are gifted with those genes of Uncle Joe who was able to drink and smoke a pack of cigarettes every day and die at 92. Most yeah. people don't have that good fortune. So we really do need to look after ourselves. But as I said before, if you connect to a deeper sense of purpose around the whole food system or what looking after yourself does to actually looking after everything all around us, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, what better time to start than now? Just looking at one small thing that you buy and considering a more nature-connected alternative to that thing. Well, I love all those foods that you mentioned and people can start incorporating those foods, especially the herbs that you mentioned. I'm glad you called that out. Now, my grandmother used to create this uh, like a herb zata, if you like, mm, yeah, uh, which was made up of uh, rosemary and thyme. And she used to tell us she used to put it on, uh, on bread in the morning. Mm. Uh, you know, bread that she would bake. Yeah, lovingly. It ground, but it was stone ground and then it was baked. And she'd say, oh, it will wake your mind up. And you just called it out. You mm. just that rosemary actually improves your cognitive performance. Yeah. yeah. And, and time is antibacterial. So it stops you from getting sick. Perfect. Absolutely. Now, you call out broccoli as well as the, the cruciferous because that's the most common one that people will reach for. I mean, there's Brussels sprouts as well. And you mentioned cauliflower. With broccoli, I do believe that's an absolute superfood, that one, along with carrots. Like people these days label things as superfoods based on scarcity. But there are some things that are not scarce that are still superfoods. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. broccoli. Now, one is make sure it's organic broccoli. And organic broccoli is so prevalent these days. You can get it everywhere. Now, I'm going to put also in the description, uh, because I hate eating broccoli. Mm-hmm. You know, even when it's steamed and doused with uh, olive oil and uh, all that. But my wife makes this amazing soup with broccoli. And I can't tell that I'm having broccoli. So I'm going to put the recipe also in, in the description. And I have it once a week. So when Alex is saying eat this stuff, it doesn't have to be every day. Oh, my gosh, no. And it shouldn't. You know, at the, at the end of the day, what we actually want to be aiming for once we etch our way towards a more produce-centric diet is tons of variety. You don't want to be having the one thing every single day. You want to work through all the different things. So if you've had, if you've bought broccoli, you know, one week in the shopping basket, next week get purple cabbage and do some cool things with that from the cruciferous family. If you got almonds last week, this week, switch it up and get some pecans. You know, really keep moving through all your foods so that you get a lot of good variety because from variety comes nutritional variety as well absolutely absolutely on that note thank you alex so much thank you it's been almost an hour and a half i know i know forever yeah yeah me too i'd love to do a deeper dive into some of those areas in the future in 2021 so i hope yeah i feel like we could definitely go deeper on personal care cleaning and Home furnishing, textiles, home health. And you touched on mould as well and you're mm. with that. I'd love to talk about that in the future. But thank yeah. you so much. Uh, you're your very time. welcome. And uh, what is your web, web address again? So it's lowtoxlife.com. The book is also called Lowtox Life and that really steps you through food, body, home and mind. Everything's really simple, lots of lists, makes it really easy. 
and the podcast as well, Low Tox Life. Everything's really easy to find under the same name. Instagram's the same. Facebook's the same. But yeah. I love your podcast. I listened to a couple of uh, episodes to feel like I've known you for a while. <laughs> yeah, it makes it. Yeah, I always yeah. do the same too when I'm interviewing. Yeah, mm. that's awesome. So for everyone that's listening, I hope you got so much out of this. There'll be so much more on the Low Tox Life website and all the other uh, platforms that Alex mentioned. And, you know, if you are in a place in your life at the moment where things are going so well and this isn't on your radar, I always want to remind you that, you know, the, of the quote by Nito Cobain, who I love this quote. I've, I've lived by this quote for 30 years now. And he says, you know, the price for discipline is a lot less than the pain of regret. Mm. You know, listen to this podcast, re-listen uh, re to this podcast, write those references down to the products, visit Alex's website, listen to the podcast, because the biggest investment you can make, you know, in your life is in your own health. If you don't have your health, if you're suffering from low energy, if you're suffering from pain or suffering from an illness, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone in your family, affects your, your relationship with your partner, it affects your kids if you have kids that sit there helplessly thinking my mummy or my daddy is sick, but I can't do anything about it. You know, mm. Be what you want your kids to be. It impacts your performance at work and it impacts how fun you are around your friends. Mm. You, you deserve to live with high energy and uh, every, all these tips that Alex has just given you, absolutely gold nuggets, absolutely. And, and it's, they're all free. You don't need to do much, you know? No, you'd be buying food anyway, so you may as well buy food that serves you. You'd be buying deodorant anyway, so you may as well buy deodorant that serves you. It's really that simple. And just don't panic, I think, is really important. Don't beat yourself up about what you didn't know yesterday, also really important. And just get excited about changing one thing a week. It doesn't have to be a huge overhaul in the A-type sense of what those big protocols often make us feel like we need to engineer in our lives. I actually think sustainable change happens in an evolutionary way where we just do it a little bit over time. Absolutely. Well, mm. thank you, Alex. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a great Christmas with family and friends. Thank you. I hope you do too. <laughs> Excellent. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, live consciously, my friends.